what uh, Psalm says that uh, the volume of the book from cover to cover, including the maps, <laughs> is uh, just about Jesus. And so we want to continue to talk about Jesus. We want to lift Jesus up. We want Jesus to be uh, our main focus and learn as much about him he's ever uh, unfolding to us because he's uh, multifaceted. I mean, the angels have been uh, surrounding the throne for uh, everlasting eternity and saying, holy, 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 and they've never seen all of God yet as they just uh, worship him. So we want to continue to unveil Jesus. He's already unveiled himself and revealed the Father to us, but as we dig into the scriptures, he just starts revealing more and more of who he is to us, and that's a reflection of who we are. But I want to jump over to Ezekiel, if you take your Bibles and go to Ezekiel, the 34th chapter. Um, Ezekiel 34 is prophetically uh, a, a book, uh, a chapter in 34. Uh, it's a prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Now, let's talk about that for just a second. Well, this morning our title was Good News About the Good Shepherd. And we see New Covenant language in the Old Testament, but we still see some prophecies that are judging, uh, and the fulfillment of those judgment prophecies, listen to me really clearly right here, the judgment of the prophecies that were breathed out in the Old Testament have already been fulfilled. Because John says in the 12th chapter that Jesus himself says, I have taken all judgment upon myself so he, when he took all judgment at the cross it was the judgment of those uh, that he's going to talk about here in Ezekiel but it was for our pending judgment that he took all of our sins upon him we're going to see that in a scripture here in just a little bit but this is a prophecy and it starts out I'm not going to read all of the verses you need to make yourself familiar with it because you'll learn from it but it starts out with woe and it's a, a warning, and it's a woe against the shepherds of Israel, who were the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, because he said, you're feeding yourselves and you're not feeding the flock. He says, there are weak that you haven't strengthened. There are sick that you have not healed. There are broken that you have not bound up. And there are lost and strayed that you have not gone to find. And he says, with force you have harshly, watch this, ruled over them. Anytime you are being manipulated and you feel like a shepherd or a sub-shepherd, and that's even for you watching out there today, is lording over you or placing rules upon you. See, when I place rules upon you, then I'm trying to control you and rule over you. That's what these Pharisees were doing. They were taking the law and they were saying, now if you, here's the key there. They were also adding to that, that 613 laws. But by the time Jesus showed up, they had added 1,500 oral traditions to the 613 laws. How, how can you keep it? You couldn't keep the 613 and now they're, th they're making you keep things that they haven't even really told you about because they're oral traditions that weren't written down. And he says you're forcing them to and ruling over them harshly and here's what's happened. It, this is so true today. If, if you don't 
teach Jesus, if you don't preach grace, the sheep scatter. And I'm not just talking about leaving your church. I'm talking about they, they, they scatter from the body because they will get to a point where they're sick and tired of being sick and tired of being ruled over and told what to do constantly. And believe me, there are things in the scripture that say we ought to do certain things. As sons, we take responsibility, but you have an indwelling Holy Spirit that will speak to you about those oughts. You don't have a stone tablets that have laws written on them. Okay. Now, he says there was no shepherd, and this is what he promises as the good shepherd. What This is all in Ezekiel 34. I will rescue my sheep. See who's doing this? I will seek them out. I will feed them. With good pasture they shall lie down. I will bind up the broken. I will strengthen what is sick. Verse 23 of Ezekiel 34 says, I will set up over them one shepherd. How many? From my servant David. Who is this prophetically speaking of? Jesus. He was of the house and the lineage of David. It said that he would set upon the throne of his father, David. That's Jesus. He's the one shepherd that is prophesied of in Ezekiel 34. I think this is powerful. He shall feed them. Then verse 25 says, I will make a covenant of peace with my people. Verse 31, you are my flock, you are men, and I am your God. So Ezekiel 34 is prophetically a warning to those bad shepherds, let's just call them what they were, bad shepherds, Pharisees, and the prophecy of what God will do through his one true good shepherd who is prophetically speaking of Jesus. Now let's jump to the New Testament where we see this come to fulfillment. Go to John, the 10th chapter with me. John 10. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. I normally don't read a lot of scripture, but I think when we look at Jesus and we want to talk about good news about the good shepherd, I want to build scripturally a foundation where you can see how good he is. Amen? So in John 10, you know verse 10. It says uh, that the thief comes for to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and that to the fullest or in abundance. The thief there is not the devil. doesn't say Satan. The thief is defined in chapter 10 in the first seven verses. Anyone who came before me, anyone who comes, tries to come in in any other way, anyone tells you that there's another way other than Jesus, They are both thieves and robbers. So that's who the thief is in context of John 10. And then verse 11, right out of the flow of that, this is what Jesus proclaims. I am the good shepherd. I believe that he stood up here. There are seven I am's in John's gospel. This is one of them. I am the good shepherd. He is proclaiming that I am the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. The one shepherd that the father would send who was of the throne that would sit on the throne of David and was of the lineage of David and he through him would make a covenant of peace and we would all be his people how do I know that he goes on to say the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep he gives his life for the sheep now one of the most familiar metaphors in all of scripture 
is that of the shepherd and the sheep as Jesus and his people are concerned. But he's not simply a good shepherd. He is the good shepherd of our souls. And in his proclamation when he declares this, Jesus is referencing his inherent goodness, his righteousness, and his beauty. See, when we make Jesus, if he's going to declare that he was good shepherd, and he's talking about his goodness, his righteousness, and his beauty, what should we be talking about? His goodness, his righteousness, and his beauty. I don't, I'm not here to beat up and, and even put a bad light on the bride of Christ at all. But I just grew up with so much incomplete preaching. No one was wrong. I'm not saying they were wrong. I have a great foundation. But when everything centered around how bad things were getting and how judgmental God would be towards us because things were getting so bad, it took me 10 to 11 uh, months of really striving and digging into Scripture, Lisa trying to help me to get to the point where I could just take a deep breath, let everything roll off my shoulder and says, He really does love me. He really is that good. He really is that beautiful. And now that's all I got. Because once I've seen it, I can't unsee it. And so I want to share with you the goodness of God so that you can take that deep breath of sighing relief and let all of it fall off of you as well. Good. Let's look at the word good. Now the word shepherd biblically means one who has a relationship with and is responsible for the flock. Now the etymology leads us to the meaning of companion, friend, guide, attendant. But he puts the adjective good in front of shepherd. This word good is kalos. It means noble, wholesome, and beautiful. There's... I mean, Jesus even tells the rich young ruler, there's only one who's good. You can take this word good, and we sing songs like good, good father, which what we're saying is you are beautiful, you are wholesome, you are noble. Uh, the rich young ruler calls him a good teacher so that he is a noble teacher, he is a wholesome teacher, he is a beautiful teacher. So you can take the word good and use Anything that you want to describe with Jesus and put good in front of it because the gospel is the good news. It's the beautiful news. It's the wholesome news. It's the noble news about the goodness of God. And we look at him as shepherd. He is a noble shepherd, a beautiful shepherd, and a wholesome shepherd. So he's our beautiful companion and a friend who's taking responsibility to guide us and to guard our souls. He protects he nurtures, and He even gave His own life to us and for us. So, in the context of healing and shepherd, go with me to Isaiah 53. I kind of want to build on this as we teach about the good news about the good shepherd. Is this good? Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible. Let me give you a side note here. The New American Standard Bible and the English Standard Version are the two closest to the original language as they have been translated. The King James has had to go through a lot of different things 
even when you're reading it, there's things that are italicized, there's footnotes, this wasn't in the original language, there's different. The NASB and the ESV take all of those out and give us the closest that we can get to the Greek and the Hebrew in its translation. For you KJV people, I'm sorry, I'm not bashing on it, I'm just telling you that that's the way it is. <laughs> but Isaiah 53 verses 5 and 6, NASB. But he was pierced for our offenses or wounded. He was bruised or crushed for our wrongdoings. The chastisement of our peace or our well-being was laid upon him and by his wounds or his stripes we are healed. Verse 6. All of us like what? Sheep. In the context of what Jesus did and was going to do, he begins to talk about sheep. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. Somebody say, but. But the Lord has caused the iniquity or the wrongdoing of all of us to encounter him or to fall upon him. When Jesus was in the garden and he looked at the cup, the reason that he asked the Father if that cup could pass was because all of our iniquities, all of our wrongdoings, of which mine and yours were in the future when he's looking into this cup. So he was going to take care of our sins past, present, and future. And he said, but not my will be done, your will be done. So, but the Lord took all of that. Jesus took all of that. Why? Because we are, we are as a sheep. We had all scattered. How come we had scattered? How come we were going to scatter? Because there were bad shepherds who were lording over and they were prospering from what they were preaching. If you'll read Ezekiel 34, he says, you're eating the fat of the lamb and you're not feeding the sheep. The sheep are going without. The sheep are poor and you're wanting more from them. So in the context of this scripture, there's a direct correlation between the shepherd and healing. Let's jump to the New Covenant. Let's look at 1 Peter who takes Isaiah 53 and he brings it over and he uses it. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. I'm going to read from the Lavender's New Testament. And it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Can it get any clearer than that? Where did he take the sins of the world? At? On the cross when he was on the tree. Where did he take them? In his body. So that we might die to sin. So that his death was our death. And that we would rise again or to live unto righteousness. He was buried for my sanctification. He was raised for my justification. So I live in righteousness. And by his stripes, listen, you have been healed. When? It's already taken care of. It's already bought. You have been healed. For you used to be as sheep being led astray. Here it is again. But now. And watch this very carefully. It's on the screen. But now you are returned not to the shepherd, but by the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. That two-letter word is so important for us to understand. See it? Not to the shepherd, by the shepherd. 
the sheep don't find their way back to the shepherd. The shepherd finds the, uh, the sheep and brings them back to himself. Mm. It's so... There, there is this... Um, I guess it's a poem, the footsteps in the sand, the footprints in the sand. It talks about there were two sets in the sand and then all of a sudden there was just one step, set of footprints in the sand and the, the author says, why did you leave me, O oh Lord, or something like this. And he said, I didn't. Those are my footprints, not yours. I was carrying you. Isn't that so true? It's not about getting back to Jesus as much as it is Jesus coming and finding you. I mean, that has been the precedent of the shepherd since the beginning. When Adam and Eve failed, they hid themselves. They didn't come looking for God, but God came looking for them and said, Adam, Adam, where art thou? He came looking for them. The shepherd, okay, you want scripture? Go to Luke 15. Let's go to Luke 15, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to reiterate all of this day by day. Monday through Friday this week. I'm going to show you all of this. We'll be going back over these scriptures. But Luke says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he does find it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Sounds like to me that the shepherd comes looking for the sheep. The sheep don't have to find their way back to the fold. We have for so long put the work on the sheep. And we've told the sheep, you've got to come back. I, I might be wrong. I'm not a farmer. I'm not a shepherd. But I've always heard that sheep are dumb. <laughs> bah. That's about all they can say. So we can't find our way back home. It's the Holy Spirit who comes and finds us and the Master puts us over His shoulders and when He brings us back. And you know what He says in the rest of that verse in 7 and 8? He says, Then He wants all of His friends to rejoice for Him that one of the lost sheep have come back home again. I believe that each one of you are a sub-shepherd and it's our responsibility as sons and shepherds to go out and find the ones that are lost God's not lost, they're lost. And we bring them to Jesus. And your first invitation should not be to Grace Life Church. Their, your first invitation should be to, for them to meet Christ. Introduce them to this good shepherd and his goodness and his beauty and his wholesomeness. The shepherd comes after the sheep, lost sheep. He finds the lamb, he takes the lamb, he carries the lamb, and he brings it back to the fold and celebrates. So let's go to the Good Shepherd chapter, Psalm 23. We're talking about the good news about the Good Shepherd. Psalm 23 is the shepherd's psalm. And it's filled with good news that we can rely upon and look to Jesus as our shepherd. Do you know what? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse 1, the good news is there is no lack. Verse 1 right off the bat tells us that when we can see Jesus as our good shepherd and know that we are loved by the shepherd, we will begin to understand that there is no lack. 
My God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. How many of it? How much of it? All of it. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He is my provider. Verse 2, he causes me to lie down. What's that word, to lie down? What's the posture is to lie down? It's rest. There is rest by the... That's good news that because of the finished work of the cross in the new covenant that our shepherd will lead us by side still waters where we find rest for our souls. Hebrews 4 says that we labor not, we cease from our work. Why? Because we're not under a system that causes us to toil, toil and sweat to gain anything from God. And please understand that I'm not, we don't earn because if we earned it is a wage, but we do put effort into it. We're not spiritual couch potatoes. Got good warm response from that one. Dagger into the heart. We're not. We've got lazy Christians that don't want to pick up the scripture, don't want to spend time in prayer, and expect to grow. You're not going to grow until you put effort into it. Are you saved? Yes. Are you going to heaven? Absolutely. But there are things that you can enjoy on your journey if you can learn from what the Holy Spirit wants to tell you when you get into reading, praying, and studying the scriptures. Verse 3 says, He leads us in paths of righteousness. He guides us. Can you look at the screen and thank God that He not only leads and guides us, but He doesn't beat and drive us. Now, according to Ezekiel 34, those bad shepherds were beating the sheep and they were driving the sheep to perform. But Jesus is just leading us and guiding us as a good shepherd. If we'll be sensitive to learn to spend time with him so we can hear and recognize, he says in one place, my sheep hear my voice, and they know my voice, and they respond to my voice. He is always with us, verse 4. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, it says his rod and his staff protect us. So he never leaves us. He's always there and he's providing protection for us. The rod was an instrument not used to discipline and beat the sheep, but it was used to beat off of the wolves and keep the prey away from the sheep that would try to destroy and harm the sheep. So the rod is not an instrument to punish you. When you look at the rod, it should always remind you that he's your protector. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Why? Because he'll take the rod and beat off the enemy. Matter of fact, he's already done it. The rod was the cross and it's a finished work and the enemy's defeated. Hmm. And the staff was the shepherd's crook that he would extend out if they had fallen off or got stuck. in. The, he could reach out with the shepherd's crook and gently put it around the neck and pull the sheep back in to the rest of the flock. Verse 5, he provides with abundance, prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. He anoints my head with oil and my cup runneth over. I'm so blessed I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup's ran over. It's abundance. He's always provided. There's more than enough when it comes to Jesus. His supply never runs out. And his goodness, verse 6, and kindness follow us. They chase us, always overtaking us with his kindness and his goodness. That's the good shepherd. Now let's jump over to Matthew 9, verse 36, and I'll get a drink while we're turning over there. 
شده بزن نقاب when we when he Jesus saw the crowds he had compassion for them you want some good news the good shepherd still has compassion on his flock matter of fact a lot of places in the New Testament says he's moved with compassion and he healed them all he was moved with compassion and delivered them he's still moved by compassion for his people that's good news because they were harassed and they were helpless I feel like that a lot of God's sheep are being harassed today now look at me for just a second and not by the devil they're being harassed by spiritual religious spirits that come from pulpits and the harassment is constantly putting a work it's amazing to listen to most preaching in the western culture in America you will not hardly leave a service without five or six things that you need to do I'm not against how to's I'm not against bettering yourself but what we should be teaching is how to hear the voice of the Spirit. If all you hear in your ears week in and week out is my voice commanding or demanding something of you so that you can better yourself or get something from God, that's a harassing spirit. You need to be hearing the voice of the Spirit for your own life and listening to what He tells you to do and then walking in obedience to that so that the overflow of the abundance that he has prepared for you in the paths of righteousness will overtake you. I'm blessed in the city and I'm blessed in the country. I'm blessed in my coming and I'm, I'm going. The blessing of the Lord will overtake you. And most people are saying, it's not me. Well, are you listening to the voice of the Spirit or are you being harassed? When people are being harassed, they end up helpless and hopeless. And they will become like sheep without a shepherd but he's, and scattered. But he says that he is moved with compassion. Evil comes from the root word, kekia, which means trouble or labor. It, means, it can mean poisoned. And it's, it further relates to the mode of thinking that relates to feeling and then to actions. So what you feed your mind, if it's not grace, will lead to evil deeds that poison the soul. Man, that's important. We've got to be feeding the sheep grace. Grace is what the sub-shepherds should be feeding the lambs. A steady diet of the law will make sheep monkeys. You like that one? Why? Because you will keep them in a tree where they swing between good and evil. Evil and good. And then because of this evil, between evil and good, they're swinging. Then what happens is, if I do good, I get good. But then when I swing to the evil side and I've done bad, then I've got to double my efforts to do good so that God will treat me good. And so now sheep have become monkeys, and that is tireless. It is exhausting. But thank God that John the Baptist prophesied that the axe had already been laid to the root of the tree, so there's only one tree standing in the garden, and that is the tree of life. 
So the relationship between shepherd and healing boils down to what the lambs are being fed. Jen, would you come and just play for me, please? And Jesus has always fed his lambs grace. Even when they failed, even when they've fallen, even when they've denied him. Let's end this with John 21, verse 17. John 21, 17 says, this is after the resurrection. Peter has denied Christ. He's gone back to fishing. And it says a third time Jesus said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter became sad because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said to Peter, he gave him an assignment, feed my sheep. Rah. I'm calling you a shepherd, Peter, and you're to feed my sheep. If you would jump over into Acts, the second chapter on the day of Pentecost when they, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and it says that Peter stands up with the eleven and he begins to declare Jesus. Look at the message of Pentecost. It was about Jesus. What was Peter feeding the people? Grace. 3,000 came to Christ that day. They received life. Do you know that the moment that the law was handed down that placed a burden upon people to perform, they couldn't keep it. But the moment that it was given, 3,000 died. Why? Because the law leads to death and evil works will lead to death. But the grace of God, which is a gift, empowers us and teaches us to deny ungodliness, evil deeds, and the works of the law. Stand with me this morning. I, I don't know if you need healing in your physical body. I don't know if you need healing over your mind, your finances. But there is a direct correlation between the shepherd and healing. It is not insignificant that this first sermon that Jesus ever preaches, he stands up and he declares, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me. And he begins to name things and we're going to talk about those next month in the ministry of Christ. But to bind up the broken, that's exactly what God said, woe unto you bad shepherds in Israel, you're not binding up the broken. You're not healing the sick. That's exactly what Jesus came and did. Why? Because he's the good shepherd. You have something, babe? Come on. I had this last week, but I think it was meant for this week because it totally confirms exactly this whole thing about grace and law and um, being preached, the difference. And in Acts 14, Acts 14, 1 through 3, now, it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, Paul and Barnabas, <clears throat> and spoke that a great multitude both of the Jews and to the Greeks who believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders 
to be done by their hands. They were instruments. And so what he is saying is there were unbelieving Jews there who didn't like this grace, Jesus being preached. They wanted to keep the mosaic. They wanted to keep you in that system of do good, get good. You have to do this. You have to do that. And they were poisoning their minds. And that's kind of what happens. I mean, you know, when, when we come here and they're like, oh, that grace message. You know, that's not right. So they want to keep you. Maybe that's why we're not seeing so many signs and wonders, miracles taking place. I'm not saying God can't do it because he can do whatever he wants in spite of ourselves, and that's part of his grace. But God, it says who he, God gave testimony to that. He agreed with that. It's like God began to move in miraculous ways. They didn't preach performance. They didn't preach sin. They didn't preach law. They were preaching Jesus. And God's like, I can agree with that. I'm going to move in that. And I'm, and, and I'm giving testimony. I'm giving good reports, signs and wonders. We're following that. And so, you know, I just wanted to say that. The Lord bearing witness. And they were used as instruments. You are an instrument. Your hands are an instrument. You can, you can lay hands on someone and they will recover when you preach Jesus. God was moved with compassion. And he doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but a lot of times we'll get up here and we'll tell you how God good God, God is. And then we'll put some fear on you because he's, a judge, he's going to get you and he's going to do this if you don't do that. And it's just so contradicting that we leave half poisoned, half unbelieving, half believing, and we don't know. And, you know, Holy Spirit's big enough to move in and, and work in us and, and, and do that. And I'm not saying we do that here. And I, like you said, I don't want to talk about the bride, but it's just... It is truth speaking Jesus, but you have to preach his goodness, his beauty with that. And um, there's no works attached to it. It's believing in rest. I I know that there was our friend David Hughes, and I'm going to say it wrong, but he said there was an exhausting faith. He doesn't call us to exhausting faith where we do all these things. We're so exhausted, but he calls us to a resting faith where we, we have faith and we just rest by believing believing that he is going to do what he can do and that's when we take our hands off and he puts and he can testify to that and he can move in that and that's when he starts moving so we are his testimony so I just wanted to say Acts 1 or 14 read that that's pretty good that's even in Acts yeah. that's right amen good 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 amen would you just close your eyes for just one minute to imagine what do you want me to imagine I want you to imagine that if you've been suffering your body that you are whole just imagine it by faith see yourself walking in wholeness if you have a loved one that's been walking in sickness imagine right now that they are whole well and healed Was, this one's going to get a little bit difficult, but I want you to imagine that if you're lacking in any area, just see yourself in abundance in that area, whatever it is. If it's finances, if it's kindness, you're lacking in kindness, see yourself being kind. Just imagine that right now. And, and by faith, reach out and grab it, receive it, and say, thank you, Lord, it's mine. 
you are lost, if you're an unbeliever and you've not believed in what Jesus did for you at the cross as the work that needed to be done so that you don't have to work and it's a gift and you want to receive that this morning. John 6, 29 says that the only work that you must need do is to believe. Believe in your heart this morning and confess with your mouth that Christ is raised from the dead and you are saved. Welcome to the kingdom of God. If circumstances of life, if situations have been bogging you down, weighing you down, and you don't feel like that uh, the Lord is even near to you or, or that you are uh, being left out or looked over, just resist the enemy and he must flee in your mind right now. Rebuke him in any adversity that... Uh, uh, thoughts from the adversary that would come trying to cloud your vision and your mind of what you can imagine as being the perfect plan of God for your life, which is His goodness overtaking you. And say, Lord, help my unbelief this morning in Jesus' name. Now, could we all just lift our hands in thanksgiving and praise and adoration? We glorify your name, Lord. Sing in the Spirit, sing with understanding, and just take a few minutes and give Him some praise. For He is our Good Shepherd. He leads us and guides us. He doesn't beat and drive us. Causes us to rest beside the still waters. Just a relaxing refreshment from Holy Spirit. May it overtake you right now in Jesus' name.